All right, have a seat. It's amazing. If you, I, I wish everybody could sort of have a backstage pass uh, to see Chase Oaks worship and the crew and all those worship leaders uh, at work as they very prayerfully uh, craft these experiences for us to encounter God uh, and as they very prayerfully and creatively and collaboratively do things like come up with new songs for our, out, right out of our life, right out of our community. I look forward to us getting to know that better and better. That was going. Uh, a lot of words in that one. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll get it. We'll learn it. So um, today we are starting a new series called Confident. And, and that's an interesting word right now, confident, because our world is so uncertain that it's maybe a more appropriate thing, or maybe it feels more appropriate to, to talk about, you know, anxious, not confident. Because it's hard to be confident in a world of anxiety, in a world of uncertainty, in a world where things just are unpredictable and they're not the way they're supposed to be. And we feel that and we've been feeling that over these last days in general. But the truth is, because of God and our faith in him, we can choose to be a non-anxious presence. This is a book title I'm reading right now. A non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And we really can navigate the uncertainties of life with faith and confidence in God. And that is certainly true of one area of life, a very important area of life that we're talking about in this series, and that is our financial life, which is so far-reaching. It impacts every single area of our life. But right now, feeling confident in that area seems also a little bit strange because it's uncertain. And, and we're kind of feeling that uncertainty. It feels like, like I like to sail. And, and there are times that I've been out on the ocean and sailing into a storm and you can feel the wind building. You can see the waves building and you can see the clouds. You can see the lightning and you're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, let's make sure our hatches are closed. Let's get on our rain gear. Let's make sure we know where we're going because, you know, we got it. We're going to get through this. We got to get through this. And it can feel shaky. And, and right now it's, it feels kind of like that. And we've been through a good season for a long time. And then it's just been uncertain and kind of weird. And so we hear things all the time about our economy that are out of our control, like inflation. And is that ever going to be able to be really tamed? And the Fed is, of course, trying to do that. And will they be able to do it with interest rates in a way that doesn't cause a huge recession and a lot of job losses? And, all, and how's that going to work? And then, of course, once you start doing that and interest rates are rising, now we have the bank crisis and how deep and wide is the bank crisis? And where is this all going to go? And now pretty much people are saying, yeah, there's going to be a recession, but is it going to be a big one or a little one? Is it going to be long or is it going to be short? It's definitely choppy waters. Am I making you feel better? Yeah. Right? But all that's going on right now, right? And, and we're just right in the middle of that. And you can, you know, you can freak out. You can act like it's not true. I think a lot of people are doing that. Just keep spending money and hope it works out. Um, kind of live in denial. Um, but there's actually a, a, another way. It's actually an opportunity for us to find confidence in, in, the right way, not in circumstances, because what we're going to see in this series and we're going to hear from Jesus today is that you and I can be confident no matter what the waters, whether they're calm and happy or choppy and rough and stormy. It really doesn't matter. The principles are the same that God's going to call us to build this part of our life around. And if we do that, we can not only be confident that we can navigate difficulty, but we can be confident that we'll actually end up at a good destination. 
not trouble, not regret, or not insignificance, where you've got a lot of stuff but nothing to show for it for eternity, nothing that really matters, just a shallow life. And that's all, that, all that's at stake. And so Jesus is going to give us an option today, and we're going to see it, and it's a very different way to live this area of life. And for those of you who are not Christians, it is an opportunity for you to hear what Jesus says about one of the most important areas of life that will impact every part of our life. And you can take it or leave it, but the more we take it, the better our life will be. But for those of us who are Christians, we've signed up for this. This is a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is an area of life, finances, that he talked about more than any other thing. Because it is such a big, all-consuming area of life, and it's so easy to get it wrong and end up not where we want to be. He wants better for us. And so we're going to hear, and he talks about it in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, last week on Friday night, we also talked about that the Sermon on the Mount was like his manifesto when Jesus came on this planet saying, hey, this is how you're going to roll if you're in my kingdom, which just means live life like underneath my authority, live life the way I'm calling you to live, this better way to live. This is how Jesus people roll. It's a very different way to live life. It's sort of this upside down, really right side up way to live. And he's going to talk about finances and his bottom line, I'll read right now and then we'll give the whole, his whole section. But it says, he says, the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Talking about material things. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, when he says pagans, um, he's not, he's not make, making fun of people or saying like, you know, saying something bad about people. Maybe if you had an overly religious grandmother, she may have called you a pagan when you were a kid and misbehaving or something like that. But a, a pagan is just in the Bible, just somebody who, who doesn't know God. And he's saying, yeah, you can live like everybody else who doesn't know God. Live a consumption-driven life, whatever. But if you're going to follow me, here's, here's the deal. is You're not going to worry about all that. That's not what's going to drive your life. Instead, what's going to drive your life is seeking first. What we're going to be preoccupied with is his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, his kingdom is his redemptive purposes in this world. To say, I'm going to be driven in this life by God's purposes, making a difference in our world. And by his righteousness, righteousness is his justice, his goodness. I'm going to live in obedience to what he's told me. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to let God worry about the other stuff. Now, we're going to dive into that deeper, but that's a very, very different way to live. And most Christians, most people who name the name of Jesus don't really do this. And none of us do this fully. And so it's an opportunity for all of us to evaluate our life, to say, what would it look like to do this financial area of life a Jesus way? And the, and the stakes are really high because if we don't do this, we'll have a ceiling on our spiritual maturity, our joy, our meaning, our significance. And this is an opportunity to break through that ceiling, to experience it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this whole part of that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about money because he's going to share some perspective that we desperately need. He's going to give some choices that we have to make if we're going to live the way he's just told us to live, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and yet it's a long passage, longer than I normally read at one time. And attention spans are not going up. So we got to 
you know, we got to try this. I, I, you know, I read an article a while back that says our, that goldfish have a higher, longer attention span than humans now. I don't know if that's really true or not, but, um, but all I'm saying is if you're ADD like me, it's so important to listen to this. Just give it your best shot. Take your pill or whatever you got to do or pinch yourself or we can stay with. Okay, let's, let's do this. Okay, here, are we ready? Okay, here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. By the way, vermin is not a word we use for it. That should be the word for the week. Vermin. Try to use it every... Well, I'm already... See, I'm 80. I'm already off. So I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over. Pretend like I didn't talk about vermin and didn't get distracted. So we're going to stay with it? Jeff, stay with it. Here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any of you add, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, that is a radical way to live, a very different way to live. And in order to live that way, a kingdom first life, in this area of life of finances, there's some choices and perspectives that we have to choose. And I'm just going to isolate them. I had five. I'm just going to do three for the sake of time. The first one sounds so simple, but it's not. And that is this choice to trust God to provide, to not worry about our financial need, not worry about finance, not, not let that drive our life, but instead trust God to provide. Meaning you do you, you focus on God's purposes in the world. You obey what he says and let him do him, which is his job is to provide my job is to seek first his kingdom. I mean, Matthew, so we just read it. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. That's what they worry about. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying live backwards than most people. Because I think most people want to be generous. They want to make a difference. They really do. But what most people do is they do the opposite of, okay, you focus on generosity. You focus on God's work in the world and let him focus on provision. We tend to do it the other way naturally. Meaning 
we make sure we're okay. We focus on provision, and then when we feel okay, then we'll be generous. So if I, once I make enough money, which is however much that is, is more than I'm making now, once I make enough money, then I'll be really generous. Now I'll be, you know, here and there, I'll do what I can. But one day, man, if I just had that much, I could be generous. Or if I just had, if I was set financially, if I had this much savings or whatever, then I could be really generous. And that's the way most people live. But the truth is, if you and I do that, we'll never get there. Because what happens, and I've lived long enough to know this, what happens as our, as our income grows and as our savings grow, you know what else grows? Our standard of living grows. It's like gas that fills up a room. And so you never feel like you have enough. You never feel like, oh yeah, I'm good now, so now I can be generous. That'll never come. Instead, he's saying, hey, don't, don't let that consume you. You just focus on what God told you and me to do. And that is to be radically generous in our world and to build our financial life around generosity and trust him to provide for that. And he will. He provides for the generous. So don't worry about money. Now, that sounds easy to say that. Don't worry about money. Because it's what Jesus is saying is it's not something to be afraid of. It's for a Jesus follower who's being generous. God provides. We can trust him. And he knows that. He understands that because he's God. He's saying, really, it's not a rational fear. Now, we know a little bit about irrational fears because we know people with irrational fears. Um, An irrational fear is just a fear that somebody else has and it feels irrational because we don't have it. So if you've ever been on a plane with somebody who's scared to death and holding on to the seat and it's like, you know, using the bag to hyperventilate the barf bag and (laughs) you're saying, dude, chill out, you know, and that's easy for you to say, right? Because you don't have that fear. And there's all kinds of phobias like, um, do you know, there's a one, one kind of phobia. It's called fakeophobia, which sounds terrible, right? I mean, just, I don't know, obviously whoever made up, made up all those words, uh, didn't think this was a real one, but it is. Fakeophobia is fear of envelopes. And there are people, and maybe you're one of them, who have a fear of envelopes. I don't know if it's the glue, like on Seinfeld, you know, if you know that, or if it's that you'll be swallowed up by the envelope and stuck in there. I, I don't know the fear of envelopes, right? But I can look at somebody with a fear of envelopes and think, well, that's irrational. That doesn't make sense because I don't have that fear. Or another one. Uh, this is my, and, and uh, my mom that you just saw has a dog and named Riley. And well, here's Riley right here. He's a little Bichon. And, uh, and here's the next one, next picture. There he is. So that's Riley. And, he's, and Riley is the calmest dog on the planet. Like uh, he's, he, he does not have an aggressive bone in his body. Like I used to coach hockey and there were kids I really wanted to be aggressive out on the ice. It just wasn't in them to be aggressive. And I had to learn that just to let them be who they were out there because they don't have that killer instinct. Riley has no killer instinct. Like he has no, he wouldn't know how to hurt somebody if he wanted to. Like he just, uh, in fact, he's so calm. He's like a stuffed animal most of the time. And if one of my moms sometimes I'll have to poke him just to make sure he's still breathing. You know, that he's still, he's a very calm dog and he's a happy dog and he, he has no aggression at all. And my mom lives at Highland Springs, which is, uh, you know, has, uh, everybody has their own, like, uh, apartment. And so you're in a hallway. And, and so there's a lady down the hallway that has Riley phobia, um, that is deathly afraid of Riley. And she's afraid of dogs in general, but, but really afraid of Riley. 
And for those of us who know Riley, it's like, you're afraid of Riley? But she is. She's afraid of Riley. And she's afraid of dogs. And not too long ago, and this is terrible, we don't want this to happen, but uh, mom answered the door. Somebody was coming. There was a little crack in the door. Riley got out, and that lady happened to be on the other end of the hallway. And what does she do? She starts screaming and running, and Riley's thinking, oh, boy. I like her. We're going to play a game. This is fun, right? And, and so she runs after the woman and, uh, and she's still screaming and all that. He's like, she's kind of loud, but this, I guess I'll go with it. This is kind of a fun game or, you know, his tail's wagging and he, you know, jumps up on her to say, you know, oh boy, what are we going to do? What's next? What's next? And she's freaking out, right? And finally we got him and, and all that. But it is, we don't want that to happen to her. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not, but you, you look at that and you think, okay, there's some things in the world to be afraid of, but really, Riley, is not at the top of the list, right? And, but that's a phobia, right, that other people have. What Jesus is saying is, when you and I worry about money, he's God. He understands how it works. He's just saying, as one of his children, that's just not worth worrying about. That is an irrational fear. Because God knows what you need. And he's a provider, And if you focus on what he's called you and me to do, focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, to put his wisdom at play in the way we manage the money he gives us, to be generous as he's called us to be generous, we invite God's enablement into our life. And it really is our choice. We can just do it the way we want it, not focus on his purposes, not not do what he said. And it sort of cuts us off from his enablement. Or... We can seek first his kingdom and righteousness. All these things will be added to us. He'll provide, which is a much cooler way to live. But it really is, it takes some faith to live that way. It takes faith to be generous. And so the first thing you got to decide if you're going to live the way Jesus calls us to live in this area of life is to say, okay, I'm going to choose to trust him. And I'm going to do what he's told me to do. I'm just going to trust that he can provide. And there's a lot of people listening right now who would say, you know what? We've learned that. But you don't naturally just start out knowing that. You learn that you're not going to outgive God and that God is more generous than we are and he really is generous to the generous. But it takes faith to believe it. So that's the first decision, the first perspective shift. If we're going to live the way Jesus is calling us to live, a generosity-driven life. But the second one is also uh, just as important. And that is, choose the right driver. Now, I don't mean tailor-made versus Callaway if you're a golfer. I mean, choose the right driver of your financial life, really of your life overall. Because whatever's driving your life, that'll dictate where you go. Like whoever's driving your car will dictate where you go. Whatever's driving your life will dictate where you go. And Jesus, here's what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other... Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was talking, uh, as much as a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. So slavery was very common. So when he talks about masters, everybody knows what he's talking about. He's talking about slavery. And what Jesus is letting all of us know is, we may think we're free, but we're not. 100% of us, every one of us, is a slave. Every one of us is driven by either God or money. There, there's no like third category. We're, we're either primarily driven in our life by money, material things and all that. We're driven by money or we're driven by God. 
And those two drivers of our life will lead us to very different destinations. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a car with a really bad driver. If you ever trained a teenager to drive. Or maybe you're sitting next to a really bad driver. And they probably think they're a really great driver. Right? And, uh, and I'm one of those people. Um, I'm not great. But, and my wife reminds me of that a lot. Um, and it's getting worse. I'm not sure what that means. She's, she's reminding me more. But, but, but back when I was in my 20s, I was really not good at all. Because I was a very inattentive driver. And I like to have eye contact when I talk with people. And so when people are in my back seat, you know, I just freak them out because I'd be driving on Central Expressway and kind of looking back and talking. You could see the panic building on their face. They're like, um, can we talk later? Can we just talk when we get to the meeting or whatever? And like, oh, no, I'm good. And I'm like, well, we're not. Like, look that way. Please look that way. And because when you're, it's, it, you're not going to be confident with a bad driver. And money is a bad driver of our life. Money will not, if we're driven by money, material thing, and well, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Well, here's what that looks like. When things are good, when we have extra, when we have a little more than we need, or when the economy's good, or our own economy's good, then we tend to be driven by greed, consumption, the desire for more. And it, I often think of that, I often talk about it like Pac-Man, if you remember that game, you know, the wonka, 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 and the little dots, and they go wonka, wonka, you know, next thing, next thing, next thing. And it just keeps going and going until one of the monsters gets you. And you know, right? And that's what consumption will do. Because it, it will just get you to dot, to dot, to dot, to dot. Next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And it's never going to end up at a good place. Eventually, it's going to go, Aww. you know, we'll end up either in money trouble or in insignificance. Because money, or excuse me, uh, greed is an appetite just like Food is an appetite that's never satisfied. Like a lot of us will go out to eat after church. And we'll be full. And we won't need to eat anymore for a little while. But tomorrow, we're going to be hungry again. It's not like we're going to go to eat after church and think, I never have to eat again because I'm full. Same way with consumption. You know, it's like we think, oh, you know what, once I get that purse... Or once I get that golf driver, or once I get that house, or once I get that car, then I'm set. I'll never need anything again. But that's not true. Because greed and consumption is an appetite that always wants more, and more, and more, and more. If you look at my Amazon cart, you'll see five things in there that are the next things that I'm thinking about, that I'm thinking about, that I'm thinking about. It is a, and it can drive us. But that kind of consumption and greed, if we allow that to drive us, will drive us off a cliff. Or drive us into a life of insignificance. Where we may have enough money where we won't get in financial trouble, but we'll just be in financial stupidity. I mean, meaning we'll have nothing of eternity to show for it. Jesus talked about that in this parable of the rich fool. Where of this really wealthy guy who was smart enough to be wealthy, but he wasn't smart enough to know what to do with his wealth. And he just consumed it. And then he dies and Jesus says, now what do you have to show for your life? Nothing. That's in good times. In bad times, where money will drive us, or in difficult times, we'll be driven not by greed, but by fear. And we're driven by fear, then we live a closed-fisted life. We will hold on to it. And rather than living a life of generosity, which will again end up nowhere. 
So that's one option, right? And most people in our culture, 99% of people in our culture are driven that way. They're, they may be generous. I mean, you know, I think Americans have a lot of generosity to them, and, and which is awesome. But what drives us is more the other, right? We're naturally will be driven by money. But money is a terrible driver that will end up driving us somewhere we don't want to go. The other option is to be driven by God. Which means seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To say, I'm going to focus on his kingdom. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to use my money to be part of what he's doing in his world through the church and lifting up the poor and all that. And that's what I'm going to be driven by. And I'm a righteousness. I'm going to submit to his wisdom about this part of life. And because there's a lot that the Bible shares. In fact, next week, we'll get really practical about how we actually manage money in a way from God's perspective that leads to the destination we want. Um, even deeper on the 21st of this month, on May 21st, is Financial Peace University. And if you've never been through financial peace or a process like that, I strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Because in the time to start is as soon as possible so that you have time to get this part of life oriented around God's wisdom. I promise you, you won't regret God's wisdom. And it will always end up at a good place. And, but that's the choice we have. It's to say... First of all, I'm going to trust God to provide. I'm going to let God be the driver of my financial life because I want to end up in a good place. Not regret, not trouble, not shallowness, but for this part of my life to be one that brings joy and peace and meaning and significance. But there's another thing we have to choose too, and this one's really hard to do, and that is to maintain the right perspective. And in a culture like ours, it is really hard to maintain the right perspective about money and finances. And that's why Jesus said this, we read just a little bit earlier. He said, the eye is the lamp to the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's one of those passages in the Bible you read and you're like, that sounds really good. I have no idea what he just said. I have no idea what that means. Well, here's what that means. So what he's saying is this. Just like in blindness, like in, in some chase oakers are blind and you know what this is like when you lose your eyesight, is that our eyes right, are the lamp to the body. They're, they're what enables us to see the world and maneuver through the world. And therefore, a person who's lost their sight or is struggling with their sight certainly doesn't take that for granted, right? They, they know that sight is a good thing and we need it and all that. So... Just like your eyes are a lamp to the body, gives you perspective to navigate through the life, um, a good perspective will navigate us financially. But then when he says, um, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's what he's saying. The sad, saddest people are not people who are blind and know they're blind. Because they can learn to navigate. They can get help and they, can, they know what's going on. The sad people are, saddest people are people who are blind and don't know it. They think they have light, but their light is actually darkness. I mean, they think they have perspective, but their perspective is actually not perspective. Their perspective is darkness. And therefore, they're guided by something that's going to lead them off a cliff. And they just don't know it. Their, their light is not light at all. It is darkness. And in this area of life, it is so easy to think we have perspective and we don't. Our light is darkness. Because there is something in a culture that, uh, where you know, the more money you have, you might think, well, the more money somebody has, 
the more light they have, the more perspective they have. The more they, you know, if somebody has a lot of, you know, like we live in a wealthy culture. That as a wealthy culture, we have good perspective about money. Or the more money I have, the better perspective I'm going to have. Because obviously I've got good perspective because I've got a lot of money. But the Bible lets us know all over the place that that's not true. That the people with the least perspective often are those with the most amount of money. Because the more we have, the more perspective we lose. Jesus talked a good bit about that other places. But you could also just travel to a developing nation. And I get to do that as part of my job. And we have these mission projects around the world. And whenever we take mission trips, and you can sign up for mission trips, one of the things that always throws us when we go to areas that are poor is that they're happy. And it's not that they just don't have the latest Air Jordans or whatever. They don't have shoes. And they live in homes that are like our, worse than our sheds in the back of our homes. You're like, how can these people be happy? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I'm not happy, but they're happy. You know? Or when we, like in Ethiopia, I, I talked about a few months ago, it was a major project for us. We you know, supported these 120 church planters. And, and if you remember, I talked about how we started paying them with goats. And I felt really bad about that. I'm like, because um, our partner wanted to do that, the lead. I'm like, is that, like the Bible talks a lot about fair wages and all. I don't want to, I don't want to, make God mad by not really paying these people the way we should be paying them. Like, I wouldn't know what to do with goats. Like, so is this okay to give them goat? Like, it, And he's like, oh, no, no, this make, helps them be self-sustaining. They know what to do with goats. That's their culture. And they'll, they'll turn goats into milk and they'll turn goats into cheese and baby goats. And it'll help them, you know, it'll, okay. You know, so you're dealing, I'm, we're, we're meeting with these people who are being paid with goats and I'm thinking, oh, it must be terrible to be them. But they're so much more joyful than I am. They're so much more full of faith. And when we strategize, it's so different. Because the way I'm used to strategizing, like for the project, is, okay, here's our budget. We've got this amount of money. And so we've got to be strategic because we only got this amount of money. So let's think how much we can stretch this amount of money. And that's not a bad way to think. There's wisdom in that too. But they don't think that way. They just think, well, okay, that's great. But, you know, God doesn't have a budget. Like, God can do anything. He can provide. So what if we just thought about what God might want to do and start there? And then worry about budget. Like, well, no, we got our budget. We only got so much in the global fund. We got, right? And, and the more I talk, the more I realize, you know, you're right. God is God. We can trust him. He has no limits. And maybe I'm the one that's kind of dumb here. Maybe I'm the one that's... Need some perspective. It's always humbling for me to, to do that. In fact, it's part of a spiritual discipline for me every year to, to be in, a, in the developing world. Just to get perspective again about what's important. And about how God works. Because it is so hard to keep perspective. And what Jesus is saying is, man, this is an opportunity to, to just do everything we can to maintain perspective about life and money, and finances, so that we can live the way God calls us to live, a life of generosity. And by the way, you know who, who there's a category of people who understands generosity, and you can talk to them about it. And that group we're celebrating this weekend, it's moms. You don't have to tell a mom to be generous to their kid, right? I mean, they're just perspective they have. They're going to do whatever they, they're going to do whatever they have to do for that kid. I mean, that's, 
That's the moms understand generosity. And Jesus is just saying, man, a life driven by generosity and driven by God's wisdom is going to lead you to a much better place than just the way everybody else lives, worrying about all this other stuff. Because, you know, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about this stuff. And part of that is because there actually is something to be worried about. That really is real, a really real worry. Like, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who go to the beach and they won't go in the ocean. Go to the beach, but they don't go to the ocean. Why don't they go in the ocean? Sharks. Because of sharks. So over the last 400 years, they've been counting the number of shark attacks. So the average is about four. Four people a year die from going into the ocean and being killed by sharks. Um, now that's four people and God, you know, they matter and all that, but four people. Um, 50 people die a year taking selfies. That's 10 times more dangerous, more than 10 times more dangerous than sharks are selfies. So next time somebody tries to take a selfie, say, hey, come here, I'm going to take a selfie. You go, no, it's too dangerous. Can't do it, right? But they fall off a cliff or whatever they do, right? 10 times more than that are people People die, about 450 people die every year getting out of bed. And they fall or something bad happens. And 450 people a year die getting out of bed around the world. So tomorrow morning, call in to your boss. Or if you're a student, call your principal and say, you know what? It's just way too dangerous to get out of bed. I'm just going to stay right here. And if you care about me, you'll understand. You know, I don't want to, I'm freaking out about. I mean, that'd be actually much more, you know, to worry about than Sharks were. But there's something to worry about way more than just money. And that is living a life like the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told that we alluded to earlier, to get to the end of life and realize I've been consumed by the wrong thing. I've been driven by the wrong thing. I've been driven by the wrong perspective. And now I really have nothing to show for eternity for my finances, for my life. I didn't seek God's purposes first. I didn't seek his righteousness first and live according to his wisdom. I just, I don't know where it all went, but it all went. And I've got a few things to show for it. But as I've said from time to time, I've never, I I talk with people at the end of life a lot. I've never had somebody at the end of life say, hey, can you just take a picture of all my stuff? Because I want to see it one more time. Nobody. Because it just doesn't matter. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants a life of meaning and significance and faith and purpose. And when we learn to trust God in this area of life, he shows himself to be trustworthy. And it helps and it grows our relationship with him as we learn to be people of faith. And so today, if it feels introductory today for the series, you know why? Because the introduction. It's the first week. But if we don't make some basic decisions, there's no reason to talk about what we're going to talk about next week, which is very practical and very helpful. And you're going to come and you're going to hear it and you think, wow, I can't believe the Bible is that practical and that helpful. And, and, and really, you're going to come here and be like, man, if people did that, if I did that, if anybody did that, their life would be really good. Like this would be a good area of life. And, but that won't matter if we don't make some basic decisions that we're talking about right now to say, you know, I'm going to choose to trust God so that I can be a kingdom first, his purposes first person, a generosity driven person. I'm going to let him drive this area of my life. And 
I'm going to do whatever I can to maintain perspective so that I end up where I want to end up. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads together in prayer. And what I always like to do, if you're new, is take us to God. Because this is Him speaking to us from His Word, the Bible. And now we get to talk to Him in prayer. And, and you can just talk to Him. You don't have to... He doesn't care what words He use. or He's your Father. In fact, Jesus said He's your Dad. So just talk to your Dad. He loves you. He wants this area of life to be great. And I'm going to encourage you just to ask God these questions right now. The first one is just ask God, God, am I really trusting you for provision? Or am I worried about all this? Am I focused too much on what I shouldn't even be focused on? And then ask God, God, what is really driving my life right now? God, what would it look like if your purposes... We're driving my life right now. How would that look differently? And God, help me get there. Help me take some steps that direction. And then just say, God, have I lost perspective? And would you renew perspective? Would you help me have real light, real perspective that will get me where I want to be, the kind of person I want to be, the kind of impact I want to have, the kind of financial health and freedom and joy that you want for me? God, would you fill me with your perspective over these weeks? Father, I thank you that you want for us what we really do all want. We want this area of life to be good. And if this isn't about you trying to trick us out of our money, because it's your money anyway, and you've got everything. This is about our heart and about us becoming what we want to become and you want us to become and achieving what you want us to achieve and being the kind of impact people that we want to be. And would you help us get there? In Jesus' name, amen.